they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. going to have the Catechism of the Catholic Church here with us. We're going to have the Scripture, and it's going to be a lot of fun. And I want to remind everybody, Bishop Athanasius Snyder will be interviewed Monday on the Terry and Jesse show. If you don't know who he is, well, you shouldn't have to, you should find out who he is. This is a bishop from Kazakhstan. He wrote a book, and I'll show it to you. It says, The Springtime That Never Came. And uh, he uh, has written a book on the Mass, and anything you do with this man is just wonderful, so I want to encourage you to listen to that. But um, I want to just set the stage here on a view from a Catholic perspective, and then I'm going to get right into the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and then i got a clip to play for you about the worldly view of you know, transgenderism and how they're trying to put that on us. But the Catholic Church teaches us as you know, to hold marriage as a sacred thing. And I have to say, you know, we are down about 75 to 80% of the marriages that are being performed from back in the 1970s. So we've got a bigger population. It should be just the opposite. It should be many more weddings. But I think it's many times the world has infected us. We're not infecting them. So... It is a gift from the hand of God who created male and female in his image so that they may become one body. This is a world biblical view. The vision of marriage for the Catholic Church, hey man, it's deeply rooted in Scripture. In marriage, the love between a man and a woman, hey, that's blessed by God. It's not blessed by God, a man and a man, or a woman and a woman. Marriage is a union in faith, and a response to God's call to holiness. The couple become the symbol of God's love on earth. You see the way when St. John Paul II wrote that letter to families in 1994, and he said, the way the family goes is the way the culture goes. So if we've got marriage problems, we've got family problems. So what is marriage? Well, it comes from a Latin word meaning to wed, marry, given marriage. It refers to a contract made by the couples, a mutual alliance that they will enter into when they made their vow to support each other and to be together for life. Did you hear that? For life. That's, that's uh, we call it the uh, indissolubility of marriage. If it's a valid marriage, you're married, buddy. Yep, for life. According to the Council of Trent, this was back in the 1600s, marriage is a con conjugal union between a man and a woman, both in a legal status in which they establish perpetual and indissoluble union of lives. Now here it is. There's two goals to marriage. Are you ready? Procreation and education and the offspring and the mutual support of the spouses. This is right from Bishop Sheen's Life is Worth Living on marriage. If people want to get that, they can get that by going to um, CR. VMPR.org or call us at 877-526-2151. Get that five-talk marriage set by Fulton Sheen. 
This defines the and applies to two types of marriages, the one between non-baptized persons and the one between two baptized persons. Their former is made according to natural law, while the later is the marriage according to the Catholic Church. So we can talk about some biblical roots, okay? As stated in sacred scripture, God instituted marriage as the pinnacle of creation. Marriage was instituted when he created Eve and gave her a companion, Adam. Not Adam and Steve, <laughs> okay? Now, uh, it is not good for man to be alone. Let us make him a like unto himself, as the Bible says. After original sin was committed, remember, Adam and Eve, he blessed them, saying, Be fertile and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. This is Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 and 28. The scriptures teachings that marriage is not simply a human institution. It's been raised up to a sacrament. It is also something God established from the foundations of the world. So when Jesus Christ healed the people of sin and its effects, marriage is also recreated and made anew in Christ. Jesus tells us that in the kingdom of God, the original intention of God and a permanent union of man and woman can be realized, realized once more. So you ask yourself, this you know, sacrament we talked about, our Lord Jesus Christ has elevated marriage to the level of a sacrament because of the deviations and disparities that marriage suffer under natural law. So if you think about Ephesians, this is another scriptural verse that I think is quite beautiful from Ephesians. The sacrament, okay, you ready? The sacrament improves natural law by giving us spouses a supernatural model for their union. They should love each other, ready, as Christ and the church loves each other. That's right from Ephesians. A sacrament, conjugal union is binding. Once it's a valid marriage, it's a done deal. Committing adultery is a grave offense. It's the indissolubility involves more than natural or legal obligations. Violating the sanctity of the sacrament of marriage is a sin that cuts the guilty spouse from the state of grace. And what is that state of grace? Well, living in the life of God is in us. Now, family arises from marriages. That's how it works, folks. And you know it. In turn, they form communities. Parents, children, and families, members form what is called, you've heard it, the domestic church. So if marriage and family life is messed up right now, you wonder why the church is messed up. Strong families, it's all, where do you think we get our good marriages from? Family life. Where do you get your good priests from? Family life. Where do you get your religious from? Family life. So the primary unit of the church, right, there is also a new perspective when it comes to the sacrament of marriage. One spouse is meant to sanctify the other. As Fulton Sheen would quote scripture, St. Paul says the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the believing husband. This is how uh, we uh, work with each other. So my salvation is intimately tied in 
with Mary Danielle, my wife. That's how it works. Now, this sacrament, uh, you know, it's, it's indissoluble. Uh, it involves more than natural or legal obligations. So violating the sanctity of the sacrament of marriage, yeah, as I said, is a sin. Family arises from marriage, in turn, like I said, the community. So one spouse is meant, again, to sanctify the other. Their offspring is not only seen as means to populate the earth, but principally heaven. Think about it. When they are coming into this world, they have a soul that God puts in. Like the water that our Lord Jesus turned into wine during the wedding of Cana, his act of raising marriage to a level of sacrament transforms it into a different reality. So true. Since spirituality is in a way to live out one's religious belief, then the spirituality of marriage in a way to help husbands and wives live out their vocation of marriage in light of faith. A Catholic marriage holds a distinctive spirituality that is sacramental, communitarian, and missionary. Yep, marriage is a sacrament because it's Christ's unbreakable love for the people of God. In marriage, the couple's life, love, and witness can only make Christ visible to others. All couples who take the sacrament of matrimony are invited to reveal God's loving presence and generous action in the world. And it's, it is, in, it, it is I should say, married couples form a permanent life-giving community. Yep. They live as communities that spread God's blessing, reach out to heal the brokenness of the family and the world, and share their gifts with those around them. It's so beautiful, isn't it? Marriage is also missionary. Happily married couples show others what it means to be in a loving relationship with Christ is the center. They also let others know the gift of faithful married life and love. They have the potential to show others what it means to embody the life of the Holy Spirit within them. This is so beautiful. That's really why I say the biblical view of marriage is so important because I'm going to continue with the catechism, but I'm going to play something when we come back, a little clip about the, the world's view of life when it comes to sexuality, comes to marriage, and then you can see the two camps, and I think you'll see the beauty that we have in our Catholic faith when it comes to a biblical world view of marriage and when uh, like I say when when we come back we'll play that clip and then we'll continue to show the beautiful teachings of our Catholic faith with a catechism course we're going to take a quick course on what the church teaches and also I'm going to bring up a bishop who in South Dakota had the guts to do something when we come back you'll hear what he did wow I mean th this took guts but you know what? I can tell he loves people enough to tell them the truth about marriage and family life and to not compromise one iota. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back. Bible with the Barber. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. 
Welcome back. As I mentioned, my wife's on retreat, and I'm doing it with, they're doing the show with my guardian angel. And we just covered in the first segment a kind of a biblical worldview of what the Catholic Church teaches on marriage. Now, I'm going to get into the catechism of the church, but I wanted you to hear uh, a rebuttal, kind of an apologetics, when it comes to transgender people saying that marriage can be between, you know, we can be between two guys or two women. In this clip, I think does a very good job pointing out scientifically that that's just not the case and that God knew what he was doing when he made man and he made woman. So, Mr. Engineer, can we play that clip? Essentially, transgender ideology holds that people can be born into the wrong body. It's simply not true. Human sexuality is binary. Okay, we know this because in nature, reproduction is the rule. And human beings, uh, we engage in sexual reproduction. You need a man and a woman to do that. Women are XX. Those are the sex chromosomes. Women have two X, Xs. Men have an X and a Y. Those are genetic markers. They're genetic markers for female and male, respectively. Okay, binary. That's the rule, and it's self-evident. Transgender, someone who identifies as transgender, however, that's not a problem in their body. Gender identity, all identities, they're in our thoughts. Thoughts and feelings, those are not hardwired, they develop, and they may be factually wrong or factually correct. Uh, the definition of a delusion is a fixed false belief. So if I persistently, consistently insist that I am Margaret Thatcher, or persistently, consistently insist that I am a cat, or uh, I'm an amputee trapped in a normal body, I am delusional. And in fact, there are people who believe they are amputees trapped in a normal body. They are appropriately diagnosed as having body identity integrity disorder. If you want to cut off an arm or a leg, you're mentally ill. But if, but if you want to cut off healthy, healthy breasts and genitals, oh, then you're transgender and you don't have a mental illness. Individuals with disorders of sex development are being used as pawns in the fight for um, basically a civil right to a mental illness. There's no such thing as a civil right to a mental illness, but that is in fact what we are dealing with, with the transgender rights movement. Well said, and I hope you enjoyed that. You might want to pass that on to your friends and family because she just laid it out in no simple terms. Now, here's a bishop I teased you. Some bishop, what? Yeah, South Dakota bishop banned publicly transgender people from Holy Communion. What's that all about? Well, he says, when a person experiences same-sex attraction or some form of gender dysphoria, such struggles do not change the biological fact of how God created that person. We just heard that. And it would be untruthful for the Catholic Church or our Catholic schools to pretend otherwise. And unfortunately, Bishop, a lot of people are pretending. I'm, I'm, if people have met me, they know I'm short. I'm five foot four. I'm not six foot four. Okay? Just because I said it. Now, in defense of the Catholic Church, this bishop is giving authentic teachings on human sexuality. Bishop Donald D. Grude of the Diocese of Sioux Falls published new guidelines. What well, God love him. I'm going to have to get those guidelines. Banning people publicly living as opposite sex from baptism, Holy Communion, 
and membership in the parish council and being also godparents. He's doing just what the church should teach us. And I'll tell you what, he's going to be paying a price for this <laughs> from his brother bishops even. Yes, I said it. You know why? Because many of these bishops have bought into this. Now, in a 14-page document titled the Diocese Policy Conforming with the Church Teachings on Human Sexuality in Education Setting, the bishop starts by giving his rationale for introducing such a policy. And he gives a biblical view. Here it comes. By creating human beings, man and woman, God gives personal dignity equally to each one and the other. Each of them, man and woman, should acknowledge and accept his sexual identity. The bishop writes, and he's quoting, are you ready? The Catechism of the Catholic Church. I love when bishops do that, like Bishop Strickland, every Tuesday here on our network. 2360 to 2363 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It says, by its very nature, sexuality is ordered to conjugal love of a man and a woman within the bonds of marriage. I always like to say the parts don't fit woman and woman, man and man. No, God designed it this way. Catechism paragraph 1055. And marriage, which is a partnership of the whole of life, is always ordered by its very nature to both the good of spouses and the procreation and education of children, added the bishop. He's basically teaching fundamental teachings. We need more bishops like that. Continuing, the bishop reminds Catholics, I love when bishops remind us our faith, that truths are not merely faith-based. Rather, such realities are also knowable through the use of properly functioning senses and right reason. Therefore, we do not serve anyone's great good by falsifying the truth, for it is only the truth that sets us free for the full life that God offers each of us. Praise God. He sounds like Bishop Strickland. Yeah, it's the truth that sets us free. And he says, stop playing around. Don't, don't be phony to these people. Don't try and tickle their ears. Thus, when a person experiences same-sex attraction or some other form of gender dysphoria, such struggles do not change the biological fact of how God created that person. And he basically says it's going to be untruthful for the Catholic Church or Catholic schools to pretend otherwise. Unfortunately, Bishop, not everybody's on the same page here because there are bishops and priests in schools, Catholic schools, who are compromising. He says Catholic schools are to ensure that boys and girls' restrooms, locker rooms, sports teams are for their sex only. Isn't that amazing that a bishop has to say that? 40, 50 years ago when I was growing up, if a bishop had to say that, I'd say, what's he talking about? Of course. No, not, and he says, no shared use restrooms or locker rooms for any students of the opposite sex. Wow, what a bishop. He says, both parish schools are forbidden from sponsoring, chartering, or providing meeting space for any organization that violates and def definition of marriage, sex, or gender, as indicated in the diocesan policy. Father James Martin won't be going into his diocese. He won't be in Tyler either, I can guarantee you that. 
Uh, reception of Holy Communion is prohibited for people publicly living a transgender lifestyle or undergoing a transition until they fully accept the teachings of the church. Folks, do you remember the story of a saint uh, back in the 4th century and uh, he stopped the emperor from going into church and receiving Holy Communion because he had killed 8,000 women and children. And he talked to the emperor and said, you need to repent. You can't, just what this bishop's doing. And it took six months for the emperor to figure out he was wrong. He repented. And um, basically, that's the approach he took. And I want to say that God bless him for that. We need more prelates doing that all the way up to the top. So likewise, he says, confirmation is to be delayed until church teachings are accepted. See, he's saying, let's just don't put them in through numbers. No, you either accept it or not. You shouldn't be confirmed unless you're living the faith. For those living a transgender lifestyle, considering transition, or have begun transitioning, nor may any of such individuals serve as godparents or sponsors for baptism or confirmation. You know, this here is striking because he's telling, he's implementing the perennial teachings of the church. And that's shocking because we don't have enough guys doing that. That's the part that's shocking. This shouldn't be big news. The bishop makes it clear that prohibits, pro, prohibits, prohibits in policies do not apply to those who are merely struggling with issues related to sexuality and identity, but to those who are actively living their life publicly as such. You see how he makes that distinction? Just what the Catechism of the Catholic Church says. People who have same-sex attraction, that's not a sin. It's what you do with it. I mean, just like a heterosexual guy. You know, I have temptations, of course. But you know what? I didn't jump on them. They're just temptations. So moreover, the bishop previously backed uh, COVID-19 vaccine exemptions, states that bans contained in the policy would immediately be lifted for individuals if the church teachings are accepted. Wow. Wow. Despite church teachings being clear and unchangeable on the issue of same-sex relations and transgenderism, many other prelates continue to push the radical LGBT agenda within the church. Yeah, he's an anomaly. He and Bishop Strickland. Well, even high-ranking churchmen like German's Cardinal Reinhard Marx, Cardinal Walter Casper, along with American Cardinals Blaise Supich in Chicago and Bishop Robert McElroy, who will be a cardinal on this, uh, this coming Saturday, have been able to push the anti-Catholic LGBT agenda openly for years, often receiving appointments from Pope Francis rather than any type of censure. See, this is why it's a scandal. As recently as last Thursday, LGBT priest Father James Martin was reappointed to another five-year term for the Vatican Dissery for Communications by Pope Francis, despite his public continued rejection of the perennial Catholic teachings on homosexuality. So this bishop, I'm sure, uh, won't last very long uh, unless we pray for him because he's stepping out, just like Bishop Strickland. We need more bishops like that 
who are willing to tell the people the truth. And he knows that when he does his exit interview, he's going to say, Jesus, I was ordained to preach the teachings of you. I tried to do my best. Yes, I got persecuted for it. But you know what? You were persecuted too, Jesus. And I want to be another Ulta Christi, Christ. I, that's what the bishop is. And he's a shepherd. And you can tell he really does care for his flock. I wish he was in a big city uh, to do this because uh, we need more bishops that are willing to tell the truth like him. Hey, I wanted to update you folks. The fundraiser for this week, we've accomplished our goal of reaching uh, $10,000 of matching funds. Uh, that doesn't stop you from you know, make, helping us with our monthly donors or our, our donations. You can go to vmpr.org or call us at 877-526-2151. Now we're going to go right back to what? The Catechism of the Catholic Church on Marriage with this biblical worldview on the Bible with the Barbers. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. And uh, stay with us. Tell your friends to join us with these podcasts. Stay with us, family. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. Like I said, Mary Danielle's on retreat. And uh, I'm here teaching you about the Bible and marriage. And as you could see today with that clip from the woman talking about transgenderism and how the world view of marriage is completely different from a world biblical view, I'd like to ask all of you, I know this sounds funny, but open up your catechism of your Catholic church. I did that when I was a kid. No, I still do it when I'm an old man because I learned so much from it. There's gems in here. So on Paragraph 1601, it's called the Sacrament of Matrimony. Stay with me here and listen to the beautiful teaching, the biblical teachings on marriage from the Catechism. It says, The matrimonial covenant by which a man and a woman establish between themselves a partnership of the whole of life is by its nature ordered towards the good of the spouses and the procreation and education of offspring this covenant between baptized persons has been raised by Christ the Lord to the dignity of a sacrament. Remember the wedding feast of Cain, everybody? Of course you do. <clears throat> now, marriage in God's plan. Let's get that because we we haven't been taught this enough. Sacred scripture <clears throat> begins, right, with the creation of man and woman in the image and likeness of God and concludes with a vision of a wedding feast of the Lamb. Scripture speaks throughout, throughout of marriage and its mystery, its institution, and the meaning God has given to it, its origin and its end, its various realizations throughout the history of salvation, and the difficulties arise from sin and its renewal in the Lord. In the new covenant of Christ and the church. So let's talk about marriage in the union of, uh, in the order of creation. Okay, this is interesting. The intimate community of life and love, which constitutes the married state, has been established by the Creator and is endowed by Him with His own proper laws. Really? Yep. 
God himself is the author of marriage. Did you repeat that, Terry? Yeah. Not me? No, no. God himself is the author of marriage. The vocation to marriage is written in the very nature of man and woman as they came from the hand of the Creator. Marriage is not purely human institution. Despite the many variations it may have undergone through the centuries and the different cultures, social structures, and spiritual attitudes. These differences should not cause us to forget its common and permanent characteristics. Although the dignity of these institutions is not transparent everywhere with the same clarity, some sense of greatness in matrimonial unions exist in all cultures. The well-being of the individual person and both of human and Christian society is closely bound up with the healthy state of the conjugal and family life. This next paragraph says a lot about God who created man out of love, calls him to love. See, we're called to love because we were called in love. And the fundamental and innate vocation in every human being, for man is created in the image and likeness of God, who is himself love. Since God created him man and woman, their mutual love becomes an image of an absolute and unfailing love with which God loves man. It is good, very good, in the Creator's eyes and in this love which God blesses is intended to be fruitful and to be realized in the common work of watching over creation. And God blessed them and God said to them, Hey, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Right from Genesis. So Holy Scripture, folks, affirms that man and woman were created for one another. It's very clear. So this new idea that somehow a man and a man can get married, a woman and a woman can... No, that's not biblical. It's not good that man should be alone, the Bible says. The woman, flesh of his flesh, his equal, his nearest of all things is given to him by God as what? A helpmate. That's how I always say my wife is my better half. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. The Lord himself shows that this signifies an unbreakable union of their two lives by recalling what the plan of the Creator has been in the beginning. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Now, we got the issue of sin in marriage, right? Marriage under the regime of sin. Paragraph 1606. Every man experiences evil around him. I can, I can avouch to that within himself. <clears throat> this experience makes himself felt in the relationship between man and woman. Their union has always been threatened by discord, a spirit of domination, infidelity, jealousy, conflicts that can escalate into hatred and separation. This disorder 
can manifest itself more or less acutely and can be more or less overcome according to the circumstances of culture, eras, and individuals, but it does not have a universal character. You know, when was the last time we read this in the Catechism? I bet you I'm going to ask you and you're going to say, it's been years. This is why it's important to summarize the teachings with the Catechism on Marriage. According to faith, <clears throat> the disorder we notice so painfully does not stem from the nature of man and woman, nor from the nature of their relations, but from sin. As a break with God, the first sin had for its first consequences the rapture of original communion between man and woman. Their relations were distorted by mutual recriminations, their mutual attraction. God's own gift, see, it's a gift, changed into a relationship of domination and lust and, and the beautiful vocation of man and woman to be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, was burdened by the pain of childbirth and the toil of the work. Nevertheless, the order of creation persists through seriously been disturbed. To heal the wounds of sin, man and woman need to have the help of the grace that God is in his infinite mercy, never refuses them. The life of God, right? Without his help, man and woman cannot achieve the union of their lives which God created for them in the beginning. That's why Bishop Sheen says it takes three to get married. Now what about the marriage under this pedagogy of law? In his mercy, God has not forsaken sinful man. Punishment consequent upon sin, pain in childbearing, and toil in the sweat of your brow. Also embodied remedies that limit the damaging effects of sin. After the fall, marriage helps to overcome self-absorption and egotism. You can say that again because you've got now a family and you can't be selfish. You've got to give, give, give. The pursuit of one's pleasures to open oneself to others, the mutual aid and self-giving. Yeah, it, it makes you grow up fast because now you realize you got responsibility. This is why I'm convinced a lot of single people have a, a big temptation to being living a selfish life. They can. They don't have to, but <clears throat> definitely you've got a good job and you only support yourself. You've got a lot of extra money. So keep that in mind. Now, moral conscience concerning the unity and the indissolubility of marriage <clears throat> developed under this pedagogy of the old law. The Old Testament... Polygamy of patriarchs and kings is not yet explicitly rejected. We know that. Nevertheless, the law given to Moses amidst at the protection of his wife from arbitrary dominion, domination by the husband, even though according to the Lord's words, it is still carried traces of man's hardness of heart with which the reason Moses permitted man to divorce their wives. That's right in the book in the Bible. Yeah, Moses permitted it because of the hardness of your hearts. That's not the way, when Jesus answered, that's not the way he sees it. Seeing God's covenant within Israel, 
in the image of exclusive and fruitful marital love, the prophets prepared the chosen people's conscience for a deepened understanding of unity and the indissolubility of marriage. The books of Ruth and Tobit bear moving witnesses to elevate the sense of marriage to the fidelity and tenderness of the spouses. Tradition is always seen in the Song of Solomon, a unique expression of human love, insofar as it is the reflection of God's love, a love strong as death that many waters cannot quench. Is this awesome, everybody? The Catechism of the Catholic Church, teachings on marriage, very biblical. When we come back, we'll talk about the, the marriage in the land, the nuptial covenant between God and his people of Israel has prepared the way for a new and everlasting covenant. That's what we're going to talk about when we come back. You're listening to the Bible with the Barbers. And I just want to say my wife's on retreat. That's why she's not with me right now. She'll be back after her weekend retreat. And again, I want to thank all of you who have been donating to Virgin Most Powerful this week of matching funds. If you'd like to make a donation, you can call 877-526-2151 or go to vmpr.org. And when we come back, we'll wrap this up with some beautiful paragraphs from the Catholic Catechism of the Catholic Church on the Bible with the Barbers. Stay with us, family. We are going to be right back with more. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back, Bible with the Barbers. My wife will be back next week. And I think I'm going to be giving a talk at this time next week at a men's conference. <laughs> so she'll be covering for me. Hey, we're talking about marriage, a biblical worldview. You know, marriage and family life go together. Children, defending unborn. I'm just going to quote paragraph 612. And then I want to bring on Bishop Bishop Fulton Sheen. I wish he was alive. Bishop Joseph Strickland to give a little comment about defending life and how we all need to do that in the family. But the nuptial covenant between God and his people of Israel have prepared the way for the new and everlasting covenant in which the Son of God by becoming incarnate and giving his life, has united it to himself in a certain way of mankind, saved by him, thus preparing for the wedding feast of the Lamb. So in his preaching, Jesus unequivocally taught the original meaning of the union of man and woman, as the Creator willed it from the very beginning. By Moses, to divorce one's wife was a concession of the hardness of their hearts. Matrimonial union of man and woman is indissoluble. God himself has determined it. What therefore God has joined, let no man put under. Now, I want you to listen to this because if you're not listening to this bishop every week, Bishop Joseph Strickland, uh, you're missing something. Because he is one of those bishops that are just telling it like it is. And he's even willing to point the figure at himself to say we need to do more for family life and protecting of the unborn. Let's play his clip, Mr. Engineer. As the bishops of the United States, we have dropped the ball 
we've missed opportunities to be very clearly proclaiming the truth of the sanctity of life. The first opportunity we had was when President Biden became a candidate. Yes. We should have said very clearly, Mr. Biden, you are a baptized Catholic. If you want to be a faithful Catholic, you've got to change your stance on the murder of unborn children called abortion. Just basically exactly what President Ronald Reagan said. He wasn't Catholic, yeah. but he got the message. Mm. We, we lo- lost that opportunity. Um, you know, the bishops failed to speak up and say, Catholics who are voting, you need to pay attention to this man be- running for president who he's, he's been, in that sense, he's been true to his word. He basically said he was vehemently supportive of abortion, and he's he's lived up to that. Um, he has been faithful to that commitment. He has made sure that at every turn, he when he first came into office, he took some steps to broaden the availability of abortion. And now that the Supreme Court has spoken, he's trying to use his executive privilege to once again, uh, broaden the availability of abortion. So we keep dropping the ball. We keep missing these opportunities. I mean, just with the communion controversy, instead of saying this is incompatible, I mean, just going back to the words of President Ronald Reagan, not even Catholic, but he expressed better than many Catholics. He expressed what we believe. This is a life. And it's murder to take that life in abortion. And so to support murder and to come and receive the body and blood of Christ in communion, it's incompatible. Um, We didn't take a clear stand then. And what do we get left with? Here the Supreme Court has corrected, reversed the, the Roe decision correctly, and the president is just trying to ways the to looking for ways to maneuver the law around this truth that is finally proclaimed by the Supreme Court. As I said when we were talking earlier, Terry, it comes down to what it underscores for me is we have to work for a change of heart. Amen. The laws should reflect the truth. But in this nation, even if we were able to get all 50 states to outlaw abortion, those whose hearts are hardened to the truth of the sanctity of life from conception to natural death, they're still going to find ways to manipulate and maneuver around those laws. So we've got to continue to work for a change of heart for the, the general populace and for our politicians. And sadly, for some of our Catholics, we've got to change hearts to believe what we teach in the Catholic truth, Catholic Church. What I what I really like about this uh, interview, we did it uh, for Tuesday's show, is another time a bishop is speaking out for the family, for the marriage, for life. We need more of that. And here at Virgin Most Powerful, that's why we give him a voice every week. 
because we like bishops who speak the truth and with clarity. So I would encourage you on Tuesdays, or you can go to our podcast and listen to his shows. Go to vmpr.org, put in the Bishop Strickland Hour. I want to finish up with marriage because it is the, you know, the way the family goes is the way the culture goes. St. John Paul II taught us that. And we need to be strong in our marriage. I know Fulton Sheen said, your love for your wife will not last because you're tough. Your love for your wife will last because you have the power to renew it. So renew your marriage vows. I'm sure when my wife comes back from retreat, I'm going to do that. Because it's not common for us to be apart. (laughs) But for a retreat, we have done that before. And it's good. But we need to renew our love for each other. That's how we stay strong. So in the Latin rite, the Catechism, paragraph 1621 says, the celebration of marriage between two Catholic faithfully normally take place during Mass because of the connection of all the sacraments with the Paschal mystery of Christ. In the Eucharist, the memorial of the new covenant is realized. A new covenant in which Christ has united himself forever to the church, his beloved bride for whom he gave himself up. That's what we're supposed to do for our wives, just like Jesus died for the church. It is therefore fitting that spouses should seal their consent by giving themselves to each other through the offering of their own lives, by uniting it to the offering of Christ for his church, made present in the Eucharistic sacrifice, and by receiving the Eucharist so that communicating the same body and the same blood of Christ, they may form but one body in Christ. I remember a priest friend of mine told me that when he prepares someone for marriage, what you know, the men, he'll go and take the interview like you do. He go and talk to the guy, and you say, "Well, got some questions to ask you, Mike. You know, Frank, whatever your name is. Are you willing to die for your future wife, as Christ died on this cross for the salvation of souls?" He puts a crucifix in the man's hands. He says, that's what you're called to. Sacrificial love. Are you willing to do that? And if the young man says, Father, I don't know. He says, you're not ready to get married. And how many of us know friends who got married too early? They had no idea what they were doing. Now, years later, they grew up and they grew into it. But I think the priest has a good point. That up front, you tell them, are you going to die to yourself? That means no more going out with the boys getting drunk. No. you got a wife and potentially a family coming. you got to stay focused. you got to die to yourself. When your wife needs something, you're there ahead of time. You're serving each other. Do you have that attitude of gratitude when, in marriage? If you don't, then you don't have a world biblical view of marriage. And most likely, your marriage will fail. Now, statistically, those couples who pray together stay together. Um, Before my wife took off for the uh, retreat, Thursday morning, I said, honey, before you go, let's pray our rosary together, because we always pray together. And it's so important. She's my prayer partner. And I would hope that your wife, your husband, 
as your prayer partner. Because by praying with your spouse, it brings a bonding to you and your wife. And that's why praying together is critical in staying together. I also want to bring up the fact that it's important for all of us who have relatives and friends who are married to pray for one another. Support groups. We used to have it here at the chapel. Married couples would come and they'd discuss their challenges. And it seemed that the communications where they were maybe not talking before got back into communications. I would ask any of you to go to your Crescio marriage encounter retreats. Go go on retreat because that's like a plugging you in again to your own spiritual life. So if you can't get to a retreat once a, a year, I used to go on retreat with my wife. The problem with that was I wanted to talk to her on their silent retreat. That's too much for me. So we go separately now. Yeah, it's just uh, you, you got to have that time. So I hope this hour of teaching on marriage and true marriage versus the worldly view, secular view that says, you know, reality is what I make of it not objective truth. We really have to live reality. And the reality is that God made us male and female and that the two may become one flesh. That's the world biblical view of marriage through the eyes of the church of 2,000 years. And you think about it, what other churches in Christendom have kept the indissolubility of marriage? Even the Orthodox, you can marry three times. Protestants, no problem. But our teaching is that if you've been validly married in the Catholic Church, it's for life. Now, I realize what an annulments are is that the annulment is saying a nullity, that the marriage never existed. Okay? That's not Catholic divorce. It's that you weren't free to marry at the time you made your vows because of X, Y, or Z. So I want to thank you for joining us here at the Bible with the Barbers. I hope you learned something about marriage in the Bible. And my wife will be back on Friday. I think I'm going to be at a men's group giving a talk. My calendar says that. But I sure enjoyed being with you. And I want to thank you for supporting here us at Virgin Most Powerful. Remember, get the Bishop Strickland Hour podcast by going to vmpr.org. May God richly bless you and your family. And uh, as I always say, full sheen ahead. And again, thanks for your support here at vmpr.org. God love you and your family.